and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, And who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, 
who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet not one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there, is, there are still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows, and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there Two days, and many more believed because of his word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves has heard him, have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. There are some things in this passage that every inhabitant of that culture, that civilization, and really in most of the world even today, would instantly recognize and read into the narrative that we being 21st century Americans don't get. Number one, let me state this. This woman expresses astonishment that Jesus, a Jewish man, would even speak to her, a Samaritan. You need to know that of all the people on planet Earth, the people that the Jews hated the most were the Samaritans. The Samaritans were the people brought in by the Babylonians when the Babylonians and the Assyrians, well, first the Assyrians and then the Babylonians, when they, they moved the Jews out and they swept, brought other people, Gentiles, into the area. That was a way in which conquerors kept control of their conquests, is if you move people out of their native areas to places where they have to scramble just to survive, 
you're, you're actually reducing the likelihood of rebellion. Because people are simply having, just to keep food on the table, they're having to do everything they can. And so that was a standard thing. The Assyrians did it, the Babylonians did it, the Persians did it. It was standard operating procedure for conquerors to move people around. Well, the Samaritans were the Jews who were left behind, the sharecroppers, that the Babylonians and the Assyrians didn't bother to move. And they were the, the Gentiles that were moved in. They had intermarried. And so when the Jews came back to the land, the Persians allowed them to return to the land to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. They came under Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest. And the Samaritans, the mixed Jew and Gentile people, came down and said, hey, we want to be part of this whole process too. Yay, yay, yay. And the Jews who had returned from the captivity said, no way, Jose, that's not going to happen. You are despised. You are not going to be part of this. And the, the anger was so great there was already a pagan temple on Mount Gerizim. Mount Gerizim is a mountain within sight of Sychar. It's within sight of that Jacob's well. And so when the woman says, our people worship here on this mountain, she could literally point, and it was right there. Your people worshiped in Jerusalem at another temple. And so there's that historic background, plus the fact that this is Jesus coming, speaking to a Samaritan woman in the middle of the day. And all people, even today, in the Middle East, in that area, know, oh, she's not a, a, a happy camper in her hometown. One of the things, we found out this close to 20 years ago, after we went into Afghanistan, We'd been there for a couple of years, and there was this one particular town in Afghanistan where our soldiers noticed every morning these Afghan women are getting their jugs, and they're going way out of town to this well to get water and coming back in with this. That's a lot of drudgery. That's a lot of work. Why don't we bless them, and we will put a well right in the middle of town so these poor women don't have to do that horrible thing and we put in this well and guess what those afghan women completely ignored that well why because that early morning trek out to the well and back was their happiest time of the day it was their girl time it's the time they got to spend that opportunity to spend time together and they ignored the well we put in. Well, but that was the first thing that women did in the morning. They got up, got their big pottery jug, and headed out with the other. Here's a woman that shows up in the middle of the day. And any reader in the Middle East today, in the Oriental-type culture, is going to say, oh, she's a woman who's been ostracized by the other women of the town. And we find out why in the narrative. She's been married five times, and now she's living with a guy who's not her husband. She doesn't want to face the tongues and stares of those other women. So she waits till nobody is going to be at the well, and she goes out by herself to 
get water, and she shows up, and here is this Jewish fellow sitting there. And he defies the culture, and this Jewish fellow addresses this Samaritan woman and says, would you give me a drink? Now, this is a deep well. She's got the bucket with the rope on it that they bring that up and fill their pottery jugs and so forth. And so all of this is things that first century readers of John's gospel, they wouldn't have to be told, but we have to be. And so Jesus goes to Samaria. It says in verse 4, he needed to go through Samaria. Now, let me add one more thing. Jews did not go through Samaria if they didn't have to. If they were going from Judea to Galilee or Galilee to Judea, typically they would go, if you're going from Galilee, you would go east, cross the Jordan River, go down the Jordan River till you got past Samaria, and then you would recross and make your way to Judea, to Jerusalem, wherever you were going. You didn't go through Samaria if you didn't have to. So great was the hatred and disdain. But if you were in a hurry and you had to get to Galilee in a hurry, you had to get to Judea in a hurry, then you would, okay, gulp, and you would charge through Samaria to save that time. But it's interesting, as we read this narrative, they get there to Sychar. Jesus meets the woman at the well. And it says he had to go, verse 4, he needed to go through Samaria. Well, apparently he wasn't in a hurry to get to Galilee because they spend two extra days in Sychar. They throw away whatever time they would have saved. So why did he need to go through Samaria? Because he had a divine appointment at the well. And with not just that woman, but he and his disciples and his disciples. And in fact, what does Jesus say to his disciples when they have come back? He says, you are going to enter into someone else's labor. Others have been here ahead of you, whether these were disciples of John the Baptist. We don't know. We're not, the narrative doesn't tell us. But there have been people who came to Sychar already who sowed the seed. And you, my disciples, and I are going to enter into their labor. And in fact, one of the perhaps surprising things to us is this woman, who is the ostracized woman of the city, seems to have a pretty good grasp on what the Hebrew Scriptures say. But let's go back and return to chapter 4, verse 4. He needed to go through Samaria so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. So here's Jacob's well is there, but also it's within sight of Mount Gerizim, where that temple is that the Samaritans had built as their competing temple to the Jerusalem temple. Verse 6, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey... Thus sat by the well, it was about the sixth hour of the day, meaning it's about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, and shocks her. 
because Jews don't talk to Samaritans and let now the disciples have gone in, buy food at the market. That's necessary. They're going to have to talk. But this is, here is this fellow, Jewish fellow, a woman in Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, expressing shock, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with with Samaritans. He throws out that rule. One of the things we can be very, very, very grateful for with our God is he doesn't carry a grudge. He is eager to forgive. God loves mercy. Mercy is undeserved forgiveness. Undeserved forgiveness. You have an accuser who sits on your shoulder all the time, whispering in your ear how unworthy you are to receive any benefit from God. Who do you think you are? Do you think that he can, that he will hear you when you ask for mercy? Yes, he will. The Bible says, thus says the Lord, and Jesus quotes this more than once in the Gospels, Hosea 6.6, thus says the Lord, I love mercy more than sacrifice. I would rather pour out mercy than view your religious rituals. Even if they're religious rituals that he had laid on them, the number one trait that he has that he wants them to exhibit is mercy, mercy, mercy. How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, he's opening the gospel door, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God, I've asked you for water. You can give me water. I have something I can give you. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, that expression, living water, basically means a running stream. Water out of a running stream. That was called living water. But, of course, Jesus is going to expand on that definition. The water in that Jacob's well is not living water. They have to throw a bucket down there on a rope and pull it up. I will give you living water, perpetually running water, like an artesian well, a well of water that just rushes up out of the ground. I would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? And even so, this well water isn't living water. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? How could you compare yourself to one of the patriarchs of Israel? 
Jesus answered and said to her, well, here's a comparison you can draw. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Every day you come back if you're judged because you're thirsty. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. One drink for of the water that I have to supply, that I have to give, will slake your thirst eternally. Forever. Whoever drinks of this water, that of the water that I shall give him, will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will come, become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. I will put an artesian well of living water gushing forth inside of you that will slake your thirst for eternal life, for a welcome in the presence of the holy God. That's what eternal life is. You know, everybody's going to live forever, folks. Everybody's going to live forever. That's scary if you don't know the true and living God. That should be frightening. That means you will live forever in the lake of fire. You don't want that. But to eternal life, that's called eternal death. Eternal life is being welcomed into the embrace of the true and living God. He is the forgiver who loves mercy more than sacrifice, who plans, who has a seat at the banquet table with your name on it. And you will step into, you ask for me this drink, and it will slake your thirst, and you will have a secure place in my, at my Father's table, eternal life. Not death, eternal life. It will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to her, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst or come here to drink. She's still got one foot in her own thinking with the Jacob's well thing, and the other, she's intrigued by what he said. She's kind of maybe hardy, har, har, challenging him. How are you going to do that? Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. She's still thinking in terms of that labor she has to do every day of coming and getting water from Jacob's well. Jesus said to her, I will answer your question. Here's the process we have to go through. Uh, go, call your husband and come here. Get him and bring him back here and I'll explain to both of you. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that, you spoke truly. Okay, at this point, the question I ask, and I think most readers ask is, this is the very thing she doesn't want to talk about. This is the very reason why she came to the well by herself. 
and here is this fellow putting his finger on what she believes is the great disqualifier, what the other women of her town of Sychar believe is the great disqualifier, is the reason for their right to disdain her, to despise her, and he brings it up and lays it right out on the table. Why doesn't she turn and attack him? Because this is a divine appointment. She has been prepared by God for this divine appointment. When you have an open door to share the gospel with someone, it is a divine encounter, just as much as Jesus and this woman at the well. Go call your husband and come here. The woman said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. But she doesn't run away. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you were a prophet. Okay, that's reasonable supposition. There's plenty of evidence from what he just said that he is indeed a prophet disclosed to him divinely. Our, and, but she brings up the great cause of conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, within sight. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, all right. Let's briefly address that. Woman, believe me. By the way, when he's saying that, that is not an insulting way of addressing a woman in the Middle East. That is standard way that non-husbands address a woman in that culture. It is not considered insulting. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. This debate that you've, this debate point that you've just brought up is really going to very soon become irrelevant. Why? Both of those temples are going to be destroyed by the Romans. It's going to become a non-point. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, but I am going to make this point. You worship what you do not know. We Jews know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. The Jewish people as a whole did have a better conception of the reality of what the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was like and what his ways were. Salvation is of the Jews, but... The hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. By the way, you read through John's gospel, you read through Matthew, you read through Mark, you read through Luke. Who were the principal enemies of Jesus? It was the Jewish leadership, the men who controlled the temple in Jerusalem. They were the ones who, in fact, engineered Jesus' crucifixion because he was a threat to them. His message of divine mercy, grace, was a threat to them 
because they were teaching a heretical form of Judaism of what God had taught in the Hebrew Scriptures to the people. And so that's, they're going to be, that temple is going to be destroyed and the Jewish leadership destroyed along with it. The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. This transition is already taking place. Why? Because the Jewish leadership are not only opposing Jesus, but anyone who comes out publicly as a follower of Jesus gets ostracized as well. But in fact, they are the ones worshiping in the strength of the Holy Spirit and in their spirit and according to the truth, the truth of the Hebrew Scriptures, the truth as Jesus is laying it out. Jesus' message, by the way, to these people is not new. It's just that it's the message that's been suppressed by the Jewish leaders for several generations. They don't want people to know you can be forgiven <coughs> by the mercy of God. You don't need our rituals. Why? Because they were making good money by giving those people the impression they had to show up at the temple. And by the way, if you bring a Passover lamb, we're going to find something wrong with it so that you are forced to pay an exorbitant price for a Passover lamb from the temple flock. And you, when you try to give a gift here, even a financial gift, you're going to have to use temple money. We have temple money, and you have to take your other money from the Romans or whoever, or whatever form you bring it in, and you're going to have to exchange it for temple money because we will not accept an offering, financial offering from you, unless it's done with our currency. This is all a criminal. They have, it is a den of thieves. It is a mafia organization with neat, tidy religious fellows at the top of the power chain. And Jesus says the day is coming when both temples will be destroyed. But even now, the authentic followers of the true and living God are following in the power of the Holy Spirit and in truth. And John the Baptist was rejected. His disciples were rejected. Jesus is rejected. His By who? The religious leaders. Verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is not impressed by the length of your sleeves or wearing your skull cap in just the right angle and all your superficial religiosity. He's not impressed by that at all. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, and I think she's right now, her mouth is, her jaw is dropped. She's like, oh my, I know that Messiah is coming. And then John inserts in parentheses, he is called Christ. Mashiach is the Jewish word, anointed one. Christos is the Greek word, anointed one. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Why does she say that? She's like, oh my. Oh my, oh my, she's starting to pull her hair. Some things that have never been spoken in my hearing before. 
when Messiah, when he comes, when that I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I mean, I've actually heard people say, well, you know, Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. Oh, yes, he did over and over and over and over again. I who speak to you am he. Messiah will tell us all things. Let me read this to you from Isaiah 52. Now, remember, there have already been people there who have come to Sychar. We aren't sure who they are. But Jesus is going to say to the disciples, there are people who have come who have already sowed the seed. She's heard truth. She knows Messiah is coming. And he's going, and by the way, that was John the Baptist's ministry. He was the herald for Messiah. So I would dare say it's very likely John the Baptist or disciples of him who have been there. This is Isaiah 52, beginning in verse 13. By the way, this is another one of those examples of bad chapter breaks. This should have been part of Isaiah 53. But this is Isaiah 52, the last few verses of Isaiah 52. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, probably speaking of Isaiah, who was horribly treated by the king of Judah and his court, just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. By the way, Isaiah, we know from Jewish history, it's not in the Hebrew Bible, we know from Jewish history he was stuffed in a hollow log and sawn in two by order of King Manasseh. So his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle, or the word can be translated startle, many nations. Kings, now this is what we're going for, kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. Ooh, here are the kings, the guys who have access to all the knowledge, and they're going to hear things they've never heard before. They're going to see things they've never seen before. Why? Because the prudent one, the servant of the Lord, is going to come. What does the Samaritan woman say? Oh, when he comes, he will tell us all things. He will give us information we formerly had not had. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Where does it say in the Hebrew scriptures, I will plant an artesian well within you that will well up of the everlasting life and slake your thirst, satisfy your thirst for a welcoming relationship with God forever. Here it is. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, "Why do you? what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot. Forget the water pot. Forget the water. Left her water pot, went away into the city and said to the men. She runs into the town square. Ladies, pay attention. This is wise way of approaching these men. She said to the men, come, 
see a man who told me all things that I ever did. And they're looking at her. They all know her. They all know her life story. They're all going, ah, ouch, ooh, could he, this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. Now, what does she do? She doesn't say, I found the Christ, I found the Christ, I found the Messiah. And they're, what, they would, what would they do if she did that? Oh, yeah, right, like we need to believe you. You're the expert. No, lady. She asks of them, would you go and check this out and give me, come back with your expert opinion? <clears throat> well, I guess we can do that. Cool. And so they go running out to the well so they can bring back their expert opinion. Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. You can probably see the men of Sychar charging out right now. Lift up your eyes. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and those who reap may rejoice together. Those who came ahead of you and sowed the seed, when they step into the presence of God and heard and hear how then God sent harvesters into the field to reap what they sowed, you will be sitting there enjoying. They will be wondrously enjoying your report of the harvest of what they have formerly sown. They got there and sowed the seed. There's no record that they harvested at all. They sowed the seed. But now the harvesters have come. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and those who reap and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come, by the way, what's that a testimony to? He told me everything that I ever did. She was, of all the people in that city, I would dare say the standard Samaritan view is that woman's going to be in the hottest place in hell. And yet she is granted mercy. She is promised. <laughs> she's the first one to hear the promise from Messiah. I will plant inside of you an artesian well welling up with water to slake your thirst for eternal life. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. He wasn't in a hurry. What does it mean when it says he had an appointment? 
He had an appointment in Sychar, not Galilee. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, even Samaritans, even those despised by the so-called people of God. He is our Savior also. Ladies and gentlemen, is there encouragement that we can draw from that? Lucifer is the accuser of the brethren, and you have the right to turn when he accuses you and say, I rebuke you, Satan. The God who chose me, who welcomed into his kingdom, who threw his arms around me, rebukes you. Am I not a, plot, a, a brand plucked from the fire? Didn't he rescue me out of hell's flame? Yes, he did. God loves mercy. Satan hates mercy. But you get to walk in going to invite you to sing the same hymn that we always, almost always close with, but this time instead of just singing the chorus, we're going to sing the entire hymn. Number 305 in the hymnal, the words will be on the screen, yes, yes, Jesus paid it all. say thy strength indeed is small child of weakness watch and pray find in me thine all in all Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. For nothing good have I, whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. 
And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. And all God's people said,